This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I have brought out the heavy hitters, and I kid you not. And I suppose it deserves mentioning this will technically be my 100th episode. It might also be my last one. I don't know. We'll find out. But I have brought some serious, serious heavy hitters here. Two of my very, very best friends, Pedro Della Torre and Justin Morgan. Welcome back, guys. Good to be Thanks. here. Happy to be here, especially on this big anniversary for you. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. It might be like... Is this the episode where you start getting a paycheck? It might be the death knell. The contract's up 100 episodes. That was it. Yeah, 100 episodes. It, it never gained any traction. Sorry. I'm just glad it made it past the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dutch? Oh, man. Wah, wah, wah. Dropping names already. He's a pilot. Oh, Matt. He's been on a few times, too. Well, before I explain the premise or topic of this episode, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Auto Tech help you build a technician with their Build-A-Tech program, kind of like Build-A-Bear. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutoTech.com. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll give you an idea of how this kind of started. And Pedro called me up one day and he was asking me what it was like to struggle to fix cars. Like when I didn't know the answer or felt like I just, I was in a rut or in a slump. He wanted to know what that felt like because he's just never, ever experienced that. Oh boy. But I've told him like it happens. It just seems like there can be days, even like a whole week where it's just like you cannot, just can't get a roll on. You just, every problem seems to just become something odd or a big deal. You just can't seem to get in a groove and whip cars out and you start questioning everything. You start, you start questioning all your professional choices. Are you in the right line of work? Yeah, it happens. I would say even for me this year already, although we're halfway through, but I would say this year already before summer, the cars are just piling up. Like I just felt like I was walking into a wet paper bag that I couldn't fight myself out of. I can't speak for Pedro, but I mean, it sounds like you just described like every Monday and Wednesday. (laughs) That's more volume. You're just getting buried with volume. It's not so much that you can't. It's not always volume though. I mean, it doesn't have to be volume. Pedro and I were talking and we'll pick up that conversation in a few minutes, but it doesn't even have to be something hard. It can just be something different or even worse. It could be something old, something that you've pushed out of your brain that you worked on a million times 10 years ago. And then you go six, seven, eight, nine years without seeing one. And then you come back and you're like, I don't know which way is up. I don't know about you, Pedro, but. No, it's it's very, very true. And I think something that took a lot of growth from me is not let my career or, or my efficiency in my day job, let's say, define who I am as a person. And you know, that's some pretty deep stuff saying that, but some of us, and I don't know how many listeners could relate, but I went through many years where I felt that how I performed in everyday, you know, fixing cars defined who I was. And then I took it really seriously. And it just so probably I could honestly say the last 
two years, I've gotten better about that. Where it's like, you know what? I can't be the only human out here that's screwing up, that's making mistakes, that, that needs to take a step back and analyze things and like revisit something I thought I knew. This conversation for this episode started when I called Matt. I'm like, man, as I started messing with this EPROM stuff and module things, I feel like I've lost <laughs> diagnostic abilities. I'm like, I'm forgetting things are getting pushed out of my head. And then that's how our conversation started. It's so easy. And I struggle with it almost daily. It's so easy to get pulled into the darkness. And I don't know if it's because we care too much or we take ourselves too seriously or we're always trying to strive for perfection. But man, sometimes it can be the smallest thing that gives you trouble that ends up burying you the deepest. And not to get profound, man, but it's hard on a daily basis to not get in a slump when, Matt, you were joking about volume, but even in a shop, say you do five cars and two of them are home runs and three out of every five are a struggle for whatever reason, whether it's parts or scheduling or somebody else has been there or whatever, it doesn't matter, learning curve or having to go back in time. It is hard to keep a positive mental attitude sometimes. Yeah, I, I think perception got distorted too for a while where maybe not with my run here with Riverside. So that's going on like 12 years. But I think leading up to that, I would probably get my butt kicked pretty good I don't know, three, four times a year, maybe. And I don't say that arrogantly because in retrospect, we didn't have the issues we have now with just the network issues and the intermittent parasitic drains. And you just didn't see vehicles with 50 modules on them. And you didn't worry about bricking modules. Like it just really didn't happen. It was so rare and stuff just seemed kind of easy. And then, like Pedro said, these last few years and diving into the EEPROM world and really, and not at so much a tangent, but also a branch of that, a mobilizer, circuit board level type of either repairs or work, be it EEPROM, cloning, stuff like that. And then just more scan tools, more complex vehicles, ADOS, you know, diving in hard on ADOS. Now it's like, holy hell. It's a lot more regular that I get my butt handed to me. And the worst part is, is almost that feeling of drowning when one or two cars aren't going quite right. You're kind of going back to the service advisor counter saying like, hey, I think this SOT and this Silverado are going to be big deals. And then it just seems to screw up the schedule or booked out over a week, two weeks. And all the cars that were supposed to get worked on the next day are getting pushed around and it's almost like hoping I can get a couple easy ones and maybe catch fire or something and start blasting through the other two that were tripping me up. But I'm just saying you probably shouldn't be the one asking for a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Space them out. No. Yeah. It's very true. And I think we might even try for that, right? You're stuck on one for a couple hours. You know what? Let me go get that. I don't even know what to call easy, right? Maybe you think that battery drain is going to be quick or you think that misfire is going to be quick. Yeah. And then you pull in a BMW with a rich condition and then you got to call Justin for help. And yeah, it's definitely, you keep looking for that escape plan. You know, the last two cars you've touched, you know, you're having a hard time. Things are not going right. And sometimes you get to the point where you have to wake up in the morning and you know how they say, just pull your socks up and, and, and give it another go, but it's hard. You were saying about keeping a positive mindset, Justin, and it's so true. 
it's very difficult because now think about this. You know, sometimes you can be the the tech that has a bad attitude, that's pissed off all the time. That negativity can really come off on other things that you do and, and your mindset and the way you approach a problem. So, so it's very, very difficult. But if you make that decision to try to stay positive and work through it, you can't get every terrible car out there. Eventually, you're going to get back at it and then you get the right mindset. You get the right cars in there that, that kind of boost your ego a little bit and then you feel more confident. But it's how to deal with those problems that's difficult. And then sometimes you, maybe you can network. That, that gets said almost diff- all types of technical conversations. Networking is huge. Talking to other people. And before the show, all of us were talking about training. As you see instructors and and we sit uh, and we're attendees and we're watching someone present case studies, it's having a real perception and understanding of what goes on in a diagnostic bay behind these YouTube videos, behind these Facebook posts, behind all these fluxes and all kinds of other things. And, And just also being able to share with people the good and the bad. Yeah, because it distorts your perception you know, like I said, my past kind of distorted some of my perception leading up the present, but also you get that sage on the stage and they seem to not ever do anything wrong. They always know what the next test is. They always know what this piece of data means. They're just completely logical on how they go from here, you know, point A to point B to point C to the diagnosis. And you feel like I got a long ways to go. You know, I was hoping I was getting better. I was hoping I would maybe even could call myself good. And now I'm watching these presenters and it's like, I would have never made that leap. I would have never looked at that piece of data and thought this. Well, how much of events that they leave out, right? And it's common sense, but sometimes with the wrong attitude, you forget that. It's not like they have to show everything all the time, like all the hurdles, all the missteps, all the mishaps, but they could kind of drop hints or just say, Okay, you know, I'm showing you this because we only have three hours today for this class and we got a lot to talk about, but this is how I should have done it. What I really did isn't, we don't have time for that. I always like, and because there are guys that do it, whether regardless of what outlet they're using, because Pedro mentioned that, you know, and we're all involved, you know, you got YouTube and you've got these tech groups and you got Facebook, even when you're chatting with people at shows or our classes. There are guys that do a good job of humanizing the situation, their example. And there are guys that totally edit everything. Maybe just humanize it a little bit more. That might help, but we're kind of bouncing around a lot. So I'm trying to stay on top of this because full disclosure. If you ever listen to my podcast, that's all I do. Yeah, I know. But full disclosure, that's not going to work too well for me because I'm already in squirrel mode because I did not get any sleep. Like gummy bears. We have to rename the podcast the Gummy Bears. Gummy Berry Juice and just bounce around. Pedro, let me go back just a second because you were talking about in the Bay when you get just stacked up with problems. I mean, there's tons of people that are going to listen to this podcast and go, that's all I get is problems. And I hear that a lot on the phone. I talk to guys sometimes and they say, well, this is all we get is crazy stuff like this. Well, it's not to pop your bubble, but it's not crazy. It's just like Matt said, that's the complexity of what we're working on these days. The days of oh, the window doesn't roll down. Oh, we just need to replace the inserts in the motor drive or we need to replace a bushing in a metal X-frame regulator. Those days are gone. Like now when the window... Two wires. Yeah. Three wires that make up the whole freaking circuit. Yeah, now whenever the window doesn't roll down, it's like, is it the body control module? Is it not the body control module? Is it the fact that somebody spilled some water in the back seat and there happens to be a splice connector for a body bus back there? So it's not necessarily that 
you're only getting science projects. It's just the game has stepped up that much. And I struggled because I legitimately would seek out problems on the bay. I mean, and it was just the shops that we were working with or the car lots or the public auto auctions or whatever insert problem here was there's days where everything you touch turns to crap. And the only way that you're going to make it through that day is you have to go find something in the parking lot. Even if you have to trade with somebody in the shop, get something that you can get a win on. Even if it's as simple as mounting a set of tires or programming a set of TPMS sensors, something basic. like Except under the wrong frequency, right? Yes. Yeah, we won't even go there. (laughs) got so many stories like that. Once you can get one win under your belt for the day, the rest of your day is going to improve. And so you, sometimes you just have to seek out that win on the bay. So if you think you're surrounded by a bunch of crap, sometimes that's what you just got to step back. You got to either tell the service writer or you got to tell a fellow tech or something that, hey, I need something that's relatively easy coming in the door. Even if it's just me taking a break and doing a service so I can separate myself from that, that, and that. That's really wise words. Well, it, you can go with the sports references even. You know, if you're a basketball player, you just can't seem to hit a shot. And of course, you know, depending on your position in the team, and I don't so much mean position on the floor, but you're going to keep shooting. You got to keep shooting. Shooters got to shoot. But a lot of times it's like, can you get on the free throw line? A couple free throws and just kind of get a little bit of that confidence or something or, or in football with a quarterback, you know, he just can't seem to hit his receivers. It's, let's do a couple really short, quick routes just so you can almost see that ball get caught, get that completion and build up a little bit of confidence or hell just run it and get that first down just get a first down yeah it's again like trying to not bounce around but if we're looking at that and something i try to tell myself like i literally have to like psych myself out and think okay how, what's the right amount of time to spend on these cars so you you don't feel like you're in that rut right correct and and then always have this plan of well, what do i need to know is there something i can research how much data can i gather right now so i can research later on some downtime before I'm just spinning in circles here and I'm making any progress. Because that's when you get frustrated, when you don't have a direction. If we really take a step back and we see every time we're getting our butt kicked, it's because we don't have direction. And we might not know what a waveform looks like. What does this scan data mean? I mean, how many times have I been in a class and a presenter will show some scan data and you know, you're know you kind of trying to get ahead of the class and you're looking at it and there's a couple of PIDs you don't know. Sometimes the PIDs you didn't know were the answer. So, so it's taking that step back and constantly having to work on that improvement on our strategy. How much time is the right amount of time? And then I'll pose this question to you guys. And also, what are the right questions? That way you know, okay, my list is full. Now I can go try to get a win somewhere else. Some of that too is is, is prioritization, right? So when you talk about, okay, well, I need to do research on this car or my favorite is, not my favorite, but the thing that I see the most, so it becomes my favorite. I've learned to embrace things that I, I really dislike. Embrace the suck, if you will. But the number one thing I see guys struggle with is intermittent problem. And whether you get on the phone with me or whether I'm in the shop and it happens, if you can't duplicate it, you can't diagnose it. Prioritize that thing somewhere else. Move it out of the way. Go do something else. And a lot of times that's a struggle. Like Matt, you were talking about with modern cars, we have tons of communication issues and we have tons of network wake-ups and tons of parasitic draws. And how often is that stuff continuous or steady? Like when you get that draw, not anymore. I mean, the days of a glove box light being stuck on are pretty much gone. Pretty much gone. So you've got to prioritize to, okay, can I do something that will 
allow me to see what is going on with this car without me actively having to be here? And can I go work on something else? Or while I'm waiting on that to fail, do I have time to research like the PIDs you're talking about? I've got a drivability issue and I'm looking and I don't know what these four PIDs are in my scan data. Well, I can research that while I'm waiting on this other car to break. That'll kind of break up some of your slump too, because now you're not just sitting there trapped in the time suck. The wall is closing in on you. So that kind of helps a little bit, but it's hard to remind yourself to do those things because it can be very difficult once those walls start closing in to continue to fight. You forget that you have an exit, that you should have an exit plan. You forget there's a door. There is a door. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's the end of the day, five o'clock, whatever it is. And you're like, crap, I didn't accomplish anything today. And the next morning you feel bad about it. And then the cycle starts. Yep. Nothing worse than having a car that, that is a thorn in your side. It's intermittent or it's difficult to diagnose or whatever. Parking it right outside your bay door. That's the worst thing you can do. Because yep. now every time you walk past the door, you feel like this thing's staring at you, right? It's like a bad Rockwell song from the 80s. It's just staring at you. That's so that'll, funny you say that. That'll put I, you in a slump fast. I actually, those, I'm, I'm in a small area. I actually put them all the way in the back behind the other cars. And it's not like it's a big area where they're getting lost. But yeah, when I pull up in the morning, I'm like, all right, once I catch up, I'm like, okay, what's in the back burner? Then I can go take a look and wake up to reality. But yeah, that's, you're right. When you leave them in your bay or you leave it there and you walk in the next morning, that's not a good way to start your day. Instantly a cloud of despair. Instantly. Yeah, yeah that, that goes back to this. Sometimes you just got to try to get a win. And the win can just be putting that thing out of eyesight for a little while. Just rest your brain. Yeah, is there a type of issue that'll get you more than others? Like a type of failure? So to lead by example, for me, it's not blatantly obvious module failures. I have a very, very hard time replacing modules. Well, that's just because you don't work on enough European cars. <laughs> there's not enough water on the modules he's working oh it's on. got power it's got ground and everybody says that they're not getting info it must be that guy i mean if it doesn't talk it's a little easier a hundred percent stone cold failures are always easier to diag the one thing i struggle with is and this seems simple and it seems dumb but this is one of those things that people don't talk about and i feel like everybody struggles with it you're looking at a diagram you're looking at description of operation you're looking at pen assignment whatever and there is one wire that you don't know what that signal should be. You have no idea. Is that coming from this? Is it going to that? Is it a ground signal? Is it a pulse width signal? And you feel and, like and that'll fix your, your, that's the answer you need. If you knew the answer, you'd <laughs> fix that car. And what's even worse is there's not another one in the parking lot. You call your two friends in the world, Matt and Pedro, because that's the only two <laughs> friends you have. Neither one of them have one of those cars in their shop. They've never seen one. (laughs) And there's not another one coming in on the schedule for weeks. Now, that's probably the one thing that gets me every time because then, I don't know if it's a mental deficiency, but at that point, once I figure out that like this has to be figured out, that's my sole goal in life. And I will unfortunately let that run me into the ground. And it's always like that one wire. Like It's always one wire. Like, what does that signal do? Is it, should it go high? Should it go low? Is that a ground signal? And who's responsible for it? Because you don't And know. where did it come from? Who, did it come from the engine or did it come from the trans? Yeah. Did yeah. it come from the BCM? And I have this self, this goal I set for myself to not make the episode about specific cars, but yeah. Just as you're saying it, I'm thinking of all these hard battles, you know, from different ones. And it's that because if you could just separate the two, you feel like you would get the win. For me, be a specific car if you want. (laughs) You're amongst friends. No, it's uh, man, uh, 
I've had last week I had a Subaru do that to me with a traction slash all-wheel drive control issue that uh and we all know Subaru is amazing with their wiring diagrams so that was a, a little bit of a struggle for me but the ones that I feel and I feel like mine is the worst compared to your guys is the very very slight super intermittent misfires I really dislike them. I have a hard time making calls. You know how you said you had a hard time uh, selling a module? I have a hard time making calls on those very light misfires that is super hard to prove at times. And they seem like you might get like a little bit of a fish bite in your bay and there's nothing to go off of after that. And then they'll get a code maybe once a week. Uh, And I feel like I get them so often that those are the ones that I feel that are definitely a weakness for me. All right. Full disclosure. The other one that gets me and I hated it when we used it 20 years ago and I hate it now. NVLD EVAP. Oh, yeah. And you being with all the European cars. (laughs) Dude, it's such garbage because I come from a 20-year era where we had leak detection pumps. And if I found a leak and I corrected the leak, I could do an in-bay service test and know within 15 minutes if that car was fixed. Now what do I do with NVLD? I got to let it sit overnight. So every time I think I found something, I have to let it sit overnight. And then what's even worse is where I'm at, there's days on end where you don't get the temperature drop requirement for it to actually run. So what do you do when you start the day and it's 98 and you go to bed and wake up and it's still 80 degrees outside? And what do you do? Oh, it's fixed for a couple months. Well, Pedro and I will get that in the winter. It won't run the monitor just because it's so cold. Yeah, you never get there. And then, of course, then you could have the ones with some minor issues where you could run a forced test, but it tells you, yeah, this only checks for medium leaks. For small leaks, you're out of luck. Small leaks leaks aren't so bad. I just have a fundamental disbelief that... No argument. NVLD can find a smaller leak than leak detection. For sure. No argument. My argument is, is on the total hydrocarbon emissions of that leak. If it takes me three weeks to find something that I used to be able to find in 15 minutes, who's producing more of a leak? So I'd like to argue with somebody about this. I just don't know who to argue with it about. That's but a great point. It's so annoying to me. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's a better system. It's got a much finer leak ratio. Yeah, but I can't freaking find the leak. So it's just going to continue to leak. And then when you're in that situation where it's too hot or it's too cold, what do you do then? Now you know you have a hydrocarbon leak in the EVAP system that could go weeks or months and never run the monitor. So how is that less than, okay, so I can find a tenth of an inch versus 15 thousandths? But on our terms, and if you look at all the white papers, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting the way you put it. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, and a small leak that leaks for an hour is still less than a super fine leak that leaks for three months. I don't give a shit how you do the math on that. Yep, that's just very interesting. That's my Achilles heel. But I have a fundamental disbelief of relying on one pressure sensor to test this whole system. It, It just infuriates me. But yeah, that's the thing that I struggle the most with. And then obviously trying to do it over the phone is like, no, I mean, that's I've even that's probably even. sold more Dawn dish detergent over the phone than freaking Exxon ever has. <laughs> oh, it's man. crazy. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa auto tech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. 
It's a fact. Technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Two examples that come to mind was, I think it was a 21 Rogue that I think it's like, must be like a used car lot. They're north of us quite a ways. So I don't know how they found me, but they have brought me down flood vehicles. And I will say of the flood vehicles, only one of them has been horrifically corroded. This example isn't one of them. But the complaint was is ADOS. They could not get radar to work or the forward facing camera. None of that would work. It had been to the three different Nissan dealers for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I don't know if the Nissan dealer threw their hands up. I don't know if they just said it was going to be this much money. I I don't know. But it ends up at our shop and it's got loads and loads of U-codes with all the ADOS modules basically pointing fingers at each other. And because they have like ADOS 1, ADOS 2, one's up in the kind of by the glove box and other ones back by the spare tire in the hatch area, rear hatch. I've called a friend of mine, Pete Landry, because I had heard he had kind of run into something similar. He's asking me like, well, are you sure they're the right modules? It's like, well, just came from the dealer. Are you sure they're the right modules? So the first dealer we call parts department. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely are. Okay. I'm getting nowhere. And we end up calling a second Nissan dealer and they're like, those are absolutely ADOS 1, ADOS 2 modules, just not for that vehicle. And the right ones are on three month back order. So three months later, we get the two modules. You probably heard me ranting and raving about how uh, I couldn't get Nissan R2R to work. And so... um, You and everybody else. Yeah, through some scheming and leveraging and pictures and all that, I got my hands on a VI2. And honestly, it was Sean Tipping came down with his legit console three plus and programmed them. And then there's kind of a initialization. That's really what did it. So I would have had a terrible time slamming modules in this thing and probably would have ended up with the wrong ones. Second one was, of all things, a 97 Ford Taurus that was at the Ford dealer and they gave up on it. They couldn't get this thing to run right. It runs horrible, just shakes, misses. They didn't tell me this. I found out the hard way that you let it run for about 15, 20 minutes idling in the bay. The cat starts glowing red, just glowing. So, you know, I'm going after timing and long story short, even tipping came down, hung out with me a couple times and we didn't know what to do with this thing. He had to kind of say, you should just put an engine control module on it. And mind you, I suppose I skipped this part. Sorry. It came to us from the Ford dealer. Can you program this module? Because they couldn't. So they had put an engine control module in it to try to fix it. I programmed it. It didn't fix it. They said, do you want to take a look at it? So I was all excited because I got to use my Eek 5 breakout box, 
which probably hadn't been used in like five years. So I was like 97. I'm, this will be done in about five minutes. It was weeks. Just kicked my ass. And it was another engine control module. Now, was it like the wrong one, possibly? It seemed like the wrong one. Bad idea I have is I did the uh, inhale, exhale. Okay. So was it corrupt? Something corrupt in the firmware that I sucked it out and blew it back in. And then when I got the module I put in, I didn't do the inhale, exhale. I went off the tear tag and forced it to basically flash new, you know, program it new. There was no taking anything from the original or the replacement. I don't even know if we would see anything if we pulled data off of it, looked at some bin files and if we'd ever see anything. I'm kind of spoiled. I always feel bad whenever I hear you talk about, because you and I have talked numerous times where you've gotten incorrect modules. I can remember a couple of years ago before we started having COVID shortages, you got the wrong part number RCM for a Chevy truck like twice. And it was setting weird faults that nobody had ever seen before because it was looking for bags that it didn't have. On my side of the fence, specifically with BMW, I don't have to worry about that because if I try to program it with a factory tool, it's going to tell me really quick whether or not that's the right part number or not because the server knows what's supposed to fit that car. So it's kind of impossible for the parts guy to get you. Now, obviously, if you're not using this, it's you're kind of in the same boat, but this goes back to the old stuff. The old stuff, is it getting harder or is it just further from our brain? Now where I sit now, it sounds so silly, but the first vehicle I had a program with ISTA, I was very new to the mobile game and to programming. They called me to program tire pressure module on an X3, I think. And get it, I'm super excited. I even went out and bought the factory tool, which was available. The dealership freaking got it next day for me. Back in the old days when scan tool interfaces were available. Back in my day. <laughs> and it's the gave me that message you're talking about. But the wording, of course, has to be German translation that just the words don't click right in your head. And then Justin had helped me. I reached out. I'm like, dude, I'm like, what the heck does this mean? And once the solution came up with what that message means, it's telling you, hey, you should install this part number. And I thought it was giving me a step like, hey, after you replace it, then you can program. So I'm thinking, yeah, I already replaced the computer program now and it wouldn't happen. It's interesting you point that out because I've been there and I didn't take advantage of that luxury. We call that the Enigma code. Yeah. Doesn't make sense what it's telling you, but yeah, that's what it's telling you. But I can remember, Matt, I'll throw a Taurus story at you. And this involves another friend of ours. It's like a 2001 and obvious ignition coil driver failure. I mean, obvious. The car at this point, when I was working on it, was 15, 16 years old. It's got 160,000 miles on it. We're not getting a new engine control module for this. We're getting a used one, right? So I grab a used one and that's pretty straightforward job. You toss the used one in and you PMI it and down the road motors. At this point, I've done tons of PMIs. So the only person that would take my phone call that day was uh, our buddy, Tim Iezzy. And Tim and I are going back and forth and he's like, it's got to be something with the setup. And so I tried a different J box and nothing was making any sense. I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, long story short, our used control unit, I now know why that vehicle went to the junkyard because it was one of those famous remands that I got from the junkyard. The junkyard sent me a reman PCM out of another car. And we all know what brand I'm referring to. It was that computer. And so when we got another one four days later, now that I've pulled my hair out on a 20-minute job for four days, I get another one and it immediately takes it. It just, it blows right in. Literally took longer to physically slide 
the control unit into the firewall than it did to program it. And I was mad. It was embarrassing when it happened. Like you talked about a second ago, Pedro, it's it's not embarrassing because anybody that tells you that they've never had those simple things kick their ass. Again, they're either lying or they just started. Like it's impossible. There's You're always going to get beat by something simple. And at the time, it seems like the worst struggle in the world. And then when, it? Done, you're, when you're done, you're like, oh, this, is, this was so stupid. It wasn't <laughs> stupid when it was happening. Yeah, it, no, wasn't. it consumes you. That is for sure. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, you get to look back and go like, well, duh. Why didn't I do that before? Yeah. I mean, an aftermarket uh, module re- rebuilding company, they, they do a lot of different things, was re- uh, providing GM fuel pump driver modules. And I had an 09 Acadia that had been all over the place. And their concern was that it won't set monitors. So I'm looking, you know, checking powers, grounds, terminal tensions. You replace the PCM and you still can't get these monitors to hold in memory. I went as far as like current measuring the keep alive power. Like, is it flowing? Is it keeping it alive? And then the only, finally get to the conclusion, well, could there be an aftermarket device in here that's maybe wiping codes? That's the last thing I had in mind. I'm like, because someone's got to be saying something to wipe the memory. And I had a, I was using my Snap-on, and one of the things I liked about it was if I cycle the key on and off, it would actually update the screen on these GMs, at least on the GMs, it'll update the codes at all times. It's constantly updating. And I would turn the key on, and my codes wouldn't go away. I would force codes to keep track of the memory, and then they would disappear. So one thing led to the other, and it was this fuel pump driver module was designed to try to clear the fuel pump relay trouble code it sets in the engine control module because of their software doesn't match with all the vehicles they sell the module for. So it'll set this code. Eventually, they uh, pulled all those modules off the shelves and stuff like that. I've seen two since then. They didn't get them all because... No, they did not. (laughs) I helped a friend local with one, and we found it a different way, but... We actually found that that particular company also puts a terminating resistor in that bad boy, whether it needs it or not. Yes. And then no lie. Two months after that, I got called in on an Acadia for the same crap. And I was like, oh, I know what this is. You're on your game, right? I just crawled up under there and looked for the wings (laughs) on the module and called it a day. You know, I do want to throw this out there because I have obviously no affiliation with anybody, but I do want to say I talked to someone there. And I was very amazed at how well they took care of my shop and me and and the time that was invested. I do want to say that. They do do a good job. A lot of, I wish we could do a whole episode on this, misnomers in the, add this to the list, misnomers of the industry. A big problem that we have is the manufacturer of a part may know there's a problem with it. They may recall them, but the supplier is not clearing their shelf off and sending it back. Whether they're not opening that email or they're refusing to send the parts back or whatever. There have been numerous times where we have ordered something and we flip it around and we look at the date code and it's still within this recall era of whoever's part, XYZ, Bosch, whatever, doesn't matter. You flip it around and you're like, this isn't even supposed to be in your store anymore. This is supposed to have gone back to be destroyed and you were supposed to be credited with new product so that it was no skin off your back. But they blame the company that uh, They blame the manufacturer, not the supplier. And it's normally the supplier's fault. When Lester was on, we were talking about that, where they just, Lester is dormant. He's a good dude. And they don't have a good way of tracking that stuff. It's impossible to track. So one idea was, I mean, it wouldn't help the parts stores themselves, but us would be have an app of some sort that we can like add them or keep track of stuff. So if we buy a a dormant product, we can maybe add it to our app. Like it's a part that we've installed or the shop, something like that. 
And then if a recall comes out, it would come to our app or message us some way, alert us. And then if we get one of those, like you're saying, maybe there's a way to scan it, find out if like, hey, don't install that. I think that would be a really good way for them to communicate with us and get us that type of information. Plus, give us a really, really easy, fast way to send like bug reports back to them and even product ideas. But I'll be honest with you. Every company needs a Lester or a David Hershon. David Hershon's for CRP, Ryan. But again, the problem is like, even if the manufacturer knows there's an issue and they recall those parts, they don't always get recalled. I've seen it numerous times with hoses from CRP and everybody wants to go straight to CRP. Now, CRP wasn't even aware there was a problem because it wasn't their manufacturing that changed. It was who they bought their raw material from and their raw material supplier didn't have exactly what they need. So they substituted the product without telling them. But the problem is all these hoses hit the shelves. And as soon as they realized there was an issue, they were recalled. But do you think the biggest suppliers of those hoses recalled all of them off of the shelves out of all their DCs and warehouses? Nine. But that'll put you in a slump too, because that's just more bad parts. Well, yeah, bad new parts. I got murdered by a Jeep. Came in with the uh, alternator light on, but it was charging. But it had to be the alternator. So we put a new alternator in there. Light's still on. It's like, okay, this has got to be an aftermarket issue. So we get an OE one, light still on, charges. It's like, now it's like, oh man, is it really a bad PCM? And I have problems putting PCMs in cars. Can we make this on my Achilles heel? I want to withdraw. My- <laughs> this, yeah, I can really relate. You're allowed to because you have two feet. <laughs> I'm scoping everything. I bust out an eight channel scope. I'm looking at everything. Like what? I'm making up stuff to look at. Like there's no reason to look at this, but I'm going to look at it because I got eight channels. I was going to say, you got to use them all. Yeah, I got to use them all. There's no, it's either one or eight. You just can't do. Just kidding. It's so rare. <laughs> the funny part of the story is it's yes. like, you're the Pico guy, but you are the person I know that pulls it out the least. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he knows when to use it. That's why. He calls me when he uses it and he's like, hey man, I, I fixed a car with a scope today. And I was like, <laughs> is it this oh. kind of scope or are we yeah. talking about a real scope here? <laughs> oh man. You know what? Everything I'm looking at, and it's not like there's specs on this crap anyways. And okay, like it has to be the engine control module. So I put one in there. Light's still on. So I order, I think I ordered like seven different alternators. So I got them from freaking World Pack. I got them from Advance. I got them from O'Reilly's. I got them from Auto Value. I got them from the dealer. And I finally get one that the light goes out and I measured the resistance from like the battery stud to the alternator body. And the one that's works had like, I think it was like 450 ohms. The other ones didn't. So the ones from the dealer boxed wrong. Aftermarket all either boxed wrong or wrong application or they're trying to blanket everything. Right. But the ones from the dealer, that's what kills me is They had to be boxed wrong. Well, remember, so people are allowed to make mistakes, right? I know that's hard to believe, and that's something we were talking about earlier. People are allowed to make mistakes. Think about the guy that is putting the part numbers in the catalog at the dealer, the OE, not the dealer, at the OE level. If he typos or he puts the wrong part number in the wrong slot, guess what every other parts manufacturer that is going to make an aftermarket version of that part is now going to do? So it all traces back to that one guy making a mistake. That happens a lot. Well, I can't even call him a jerk, man, because if you've ever texted me, you know how bad that can be. I can oh, yeah. Something in a heart. It goes both ways, man. Dude, I'm just, that's just, 
it totally happens, but we in the moment, we start cussing everybody. Oh, this is crap. Nobody makes good parts anymore. Well, it's not that they don't make good parts. It's that they're all working off the same wrong info because Huber-Smith or whoever it is that's supposed to be typing these numbers in grabbed the wrong number from line 12 and put it on line 13. Inline Jeep uh, coil pack. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting you say that because like that would reasonably explain that whole thing. Like how you could have all these that are wrong. It's the first thing that came to mind when, when, uh, because obviously I was in a terrible spot with one and you just reminded me of it when you said it. So while we're on the bad parts thing, has anybody ever wondered why it is that we always hear about a specific part from XYZ brand never fixes a car? Yet every time we look, they're still being produced. Like, why is that? It has to fix something, right? Otherwise, they quit making it. I always wondered that. It's got to be, like you said, right? Maybe wrong uh, year application or model application or something. Got to be something. I mean, I've, I've heard for years, don't put the black cam sensor in. They're crap. Only the gray ones are good. Well, then yeah. Why the hell do they make the black ones? What are <laughs> so they fixing? Even though you have a 2010 in your bay, you only order the gray one for a 2012. <laughs> yeah, right? Something. I mean, it's like... If that never fixes it and it's documented, like you can look it up on Identifix or well, ITN. It's something I Why learned are they making it? because nobody actually goes to the right channels of reaching the manufacturer. I learned that when I went, we were going back to our Stop modulation. it. Stop yeah. it. You mean people would complain about a problem and never actually report it? Stop it. <laughs> they would rather blast this company and write articles and make videos saying they're the worst company in the world, but they will not take the time to call tech support and explain, hey, can you, do you guys know you have this issue? You know, it's interesting because and buying from a bunch of different parts vendors over the year, a lot of my European parts vendors, they don't exist anymore. Some of the small mom and pop places that I first started out buying parts from. And I had a really good relationship with those guys. And they clued me into something that they were dealing with on a small level because they only had one location. And then you factor it into some of these bigger companies. I do not envy WorldPack at all. WorldPack gets thrown to the mat all the time. And I'm not saying that it's not all a problem. Napa, the same thing. You just pick a brand. It's normally not their fault. When you go to return something, if you're using the online ordering system, this irks the shit out of me. Sorry, Matt. When you return a part, be honest about why you're returning it. You're not going to get charged for it. Just be honest. If it's a defect, it's a defect. If you broke it, mark it as a defect and just call your guy and be like, look, we accidentally hit it with a hammer 27 times, but I'm sending it back. The module you're returning. (laughs) Do not send that part back as new, not needed, because then I will find you. Liam Neeson, we will find you. And you had, because you have that in your bay right now, right? (laughs) Because I'm tired of opening boxes that I know have been to another location and I open it. And it's broken. It's like physically broken. Like, why is this even back on the shelf? But it's because nobody ever takes the time to report it. Same thing with scan tools. That's been number. We're way off topic. But since we're down the yellow brick road, I get in all these groups and I have to be in all these tech groups because of what I do for a living. And I constantly see people bashing scan tools. Well, this scan tool sucks. It doesn't do that. This scan tool sucks because it doesn't do this. This function's never worked. Yeah, the factory tool doesn't do it. This function's never worked. Well, that's interesting because whenever I talk to some of these guys that are at shows that you know are in the ability to fix it, if they know about it, they go, that's interesting. We've never had anybody bitch about that to us. And I go, oh, really? Stand by. And I start sending them screenshots of like 20 or 30 people complaining that it doesn't work. And they go, news to us. If they don't know, they can't fix it. Yep. They don't know. Now they're in a slump because their tool sucks. Yeah. And, and now it's like they're shocked, right? It's completely new to them. And now they have to start fixing it. So just lost time. And you drag their name through the mud. Yeah. So be honest with your parts returns and then report bugs when you find them. That it is was a it is. really long way. 
and I'm bad with that. Sometimes like I'm having an issue with like OE software programming something and I'll call a friend or either maybe just to vent about it or maybe to look for a look around and, and then they'll say, uh, well, did you call the manufacturer? I haven't actually. That's, that's a great point. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty. My buddy Keith Perkins has done that to me. I'll call him about something. He's like, oh yeah, you know, they usually help if you call him. I'm like, well, that's a great point. I'll call you later and then go through the right channel. That's the thing though, is it? And I get why that happens a lot. And I think it's a direct relation to technicians being in a slump. Because if you're getting hammered on the mat for whatever it is in the bay, and now all of a sudden you have a feature in a scan tool that doesn't work or a particular part number from a particular vendor, every time you try to install it, it doesn't work. I don't expect you to stop what you're doing and do it right now because you have the cloud of despair on top of you, but maybe just screenshot what was the tool was not doing and do it later. Write yourself a note, stick it on your toolbox. At this point, I've seen everybody's toolboxes. Everybody's toolboxes are pretty freaking big, except for Matt's. Matt's still working out of like a, like a craftsman, like flip toolbox. Oh, you got the Ed Page special? It's just a cardboard box that says Tool, T-E-W-L, written on it? People I worship, yes. Yeah, Ed, Ed's a genius. Man. At this point, everybody's toolbox is big enough that they ought to have one of the little magnetic sticky wipe-off boards on your toolbox. There's no excuse for that. They're at like every Dollar General, every family dollar, every dollar store, every, I mean, anywhere, Target, Michaels, whatever. They're a couple bucks. You should have one in your toolbox. You can't remember everything. Write it down. Later on, deal with it. Man, ain't that the truth about not remembering any, everything? Have you been in a situation where you got your like completely annihilated by a problem and it comes in your bait three years later in a different car and you just completely forgot it happened and you go through the same painful process? That's happened to me. I don't know if anybody else can relate. Maybe it's just me, but I've tried to be better at note taking those types of issues and document them for myself. I used to have a problem with that when I was younger. And then one day it clicked for me to do something that Matt did an episode on. And I don't remember what number it is. Maybe you remember, but journaling. And when he did that episode, it was like, well, I'm supposed to write my feelings. No, you're supposed to write what you did. Yeah. Like when you get taken to the mat by something, document it. If you, look you at, won't forget. If you look at the end of the year, even at the end of the month through your notes, it's almost impressive. When you see, you're like, oh, wow, I actually, I did that. I tested this. I found this. And, and it's almost good for you to reflect on that and see your growth, but it's also going to be good. It's like a, your little manual, you know, of, of, of silver bullets. When it's a growth a chart. Issue. Yeah, most definitely. Just like when you were a kid and you used to write on the door frame. Yeah, see, it's I'll the same you. thing, but yeah, I mean, I can eliminate a slump in a heartbeat because now oh. you're not revisiting the same nightmare two times in a row. Oh yeah. I mean, I kind of wanted to keep this like very like stuff that affected me directly. And, but one thing you, you're talking about scan tools. And one of the advantages of having multiple is you avoid certain other issues where you guys are talking about scan tools and blaming scan tools. But if you only have one in the shop or one brand in the shop, you open yourself up to getting destroyed by that scan tool misreporting something. It might be codes. It might be data. It might be not running certain test properly like a code descriptor <laughs> can i clarify that for a second too please because i run into this a lot guys will say well we have four different scan tools and i go okay what are they well we got i'm gonna pick on the tool brand everybody picks on for a second but that's just because they're most widely known well we have a 
Snap-on Ethos. We have a Snap-on Solus, a Snap-on Modus, and a Snap-on Veritas. Each level. <laughs> Bruh, they're all the same tool. You have yeah. the same diagnostic ability with all of those. That's not different tools. <laughs> different brands, different tools. We have the big scan tool, and it's doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, one that just pops in my head right away, and it's well-known, but it's on older General Motors that you'd plug a Snap-on in, which you would think would be very capable on General Motors. And it'll pull up like force motor codes for the ABS. So take me a minute to maybe remember the actual system, but it's like a Bendix where they got these electric motors rate mounted around the master cylinder area and Snap-on will pull a DTC for the force motors and you're going down a rabbit hole for the rest of your life. Because that code doesn't exist. I've never seen that. Are you, are you talking about like what the Saturns used to use and um, some Grand Ames? Like the- For sure Grand Am. I thought some Grand Prix. I can picture it now, but I, I don't think I, I ever had that situation. Plug in a uh, Tech 2 or you know anything else that would talk to it, honestly. And it's a wheel speed sensor code. Wow, that's awesome. So not only does it get the number wrong, and of course the description, but it gets the number wrong, everything. You are screwed. No kidding. And like you said, though, it should be its bread and butter, right? Gravy years for those scan tools. But I think also if you call Snap-on tech support, they'll be like, oh, yeah, um, we know about that. Yeah, you know what? Now that you... <laughs> yeah, well, I'll leave that topic alone. Sometimes they know about it. Some companies know about things and they refuse to fix them. That would be one of them. Yeah. Sometimes they know about it and it doesn't get fixed for an update or two. And then you, or never, you call and they're like, yeah, that was fixed with uh, the most recent update. And you're like, but it was broken then. Can I get a patch? It was broken when I bought it. Can't, and you knew about it. Can I get a patch? No, not at all. That's not how that works. No, don't try to print the file or email a file from your data manager because then it disappears. They've been working on it since 2014, I think. So don't even get me started on things that have been getting worked on. Yeah. I got a list of grievances with Ista P that's about four miles long. <laughs> Matt, you should just change the name of this one from being in a slump to what really grinds my gears. Well, that's going to be another episode. <laughs> oh, man. We got to do the mitt busting and then we got to do the one that grinds Justin's gears. No, grinds everybody's gears. It's like Pedro said earlier, and I don't think he realizes how philosophical is not the right word, but I'm going to use it. That feeling that Oh man, it's embarrassing. I can't believe I got beat by something so simple. It wasn't simple at the time. Whether it was the circumstance on top of the problem or the other two problems next to that problem or the fact that you were wounded from the get-go because tool you have is not accurate, displaying fault codes, then the part you get is not correct or it's boxed wrong and there's a catalog error or they're just flat out bad out of the box because that never happens after 2020. (laughs) Like... That it seems simple after the fact, but a hundred percent, it was not simple when it happened to you. And you should celebrate that you learned something. And that's why it seems simple after the fact. Screw the celebration. Just realize, (laughs) I'm telling you, realize that you might think it was simple after the fact, but I guarantee you there's at least two other people that you can run into. For sure. That have done the same thing. Because of the same bad circumstance, whatever it was, whether it was the time crunch or the you're tired or you've been sick or you didn't go to bed till 2.45 this morning because you were up writing a book that was due Wednesday of last week. All that, (laughs) you know, it could be anything and you make a simple mistake and it turns into a, a long drawn out odyssey. It wasn't simple when it happened. Just remember that. Just remember that. No battle you go through is simple. Maybe after the fact. But remembering that and 
like you, you you said earlier too, that it's okay to make mistakes. God, that's so important. For I may have been mistaken when I said that. <laughs> it, it's so true. I think service writers, customers, the whole like industry has this weight on a tech's shoulders. You should never make a mistake. And you're terrible if you do. That's another podcast we've talked about where yeah. we don't have the ability to be wrong anymore. Yeah. I mean, we're like Alanis Morissette's character in Dogma, you know, they're fallible. The whole universe unravels. The G-O-D. Yeah. So if we're wrong, the whole shop unravels. It's a tough man. That's just more weight on top of technicians. And it doesn't have to be the top level guy either. Think back to whenever, Matt, I mean, I I don't know that you've ever been on the bottom rung, but Pedro, I'm yeah. pretty sure you have been. Oh, yeah. I'm still am, but. I started out in a tire shop, man. What do you think a bad day was at the tire shop? It's definitely not what I would consider a bad day now. Strip the lug nut? Strip lug nut or the guy that just turned an alignment over to you because he just broke every pinch nut off the front of a freaking Jeep suspension. Like, <laughs> oh, and now, now not only do you get to align it, but you also get to like change out sleeves and clamps and bolts on everything that you just aligned. Like, it doesn't matter what the struggle is. The struggle's real to you when it happens. And not everybody realizes that after the fact. I mean, we can pick on each other a lot. We constantly do, but. The person that it happened to, I want them to realize that, like, that's a real struggle. No, 100%. I don't know if I can say this, but you can almost take that into a mental health aspect. You know, when someone's having a struggle of any kind, right? You could have a guy that maybe he's been a war or something like that. And you could have an issue, a small issue in the morning, your car broke down. And that guy can tell you, oh, that's nothing. You know, I've been through terrible things. But in your mind, in your life experiences, your experiences define the magnitude and seriousness of things, not someone else's opinion. And that is so huge. And a lot of people need to hear that. Well, yeah. And then just whatever coping mechanisms you've developed over the years. Yeah. The whole mental health thing, that's a very, very deep subject. One that's very fascinating to me and how it affects so many different things. And it just, this will sound very sarcastic and trying to get a laugh, but honestly, we're just meat sack computers walking around running programs. And our programs were developed a little bit by, you know, DNA, if you will, a lot bit by environment. And, you know, you take that to more of an extreme and you get into like actual mental health issues and maybe certain disorders like substance use, stuff like that. Rewriting your code is, it's hard. And so like what you're talking about, how you process things and this might set you down a bad path because this kind of goes wrong, this kind of goes wrong. And now it's just kind of nosedives. And I'm, I mean, it happens to me that like that should be so mind blowing, but I think it happens to a lot of people. I'm just saying like, that's something I can greatly sympathize with rewriting your code to not do that. That's, that's hard work. That's really hard work and you can do it obviously. But it's no easy task. And if you can recognize it and kind of maybe pull up on the stick a little bit, like, hey, okay, this doesn't have to snowball into a big ordeal. It, it doesn't have to tank the rest of the week here. Take a break. Let's go to lunch, cut myself some slack and maybe come back with a different angle or go to the, try to get a different car to work on to pick up some momentum. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, if, if you were looking to the topic of the of the episode, right? Well, what can you tell someone that's going through one of those hard times? They're always going to happen. They're never going to go away. I think any career could do that. Obviously, we're not automotive right now, so we can focus on that. And it's, it's only going to get worse. There's talks on getting rid of ice engines and things like that. But now we have to have variable height pistons, dual stage or variable lift valves. 
VVT with extremely aggressive angles. So all these things are getting so, so bad. Yeah. Well, what if they get rid of the camshaft and it's just all hydraulic or pneumatic or however they're going to do that, where they're going to be adjusting valve timing per cylinder live? I got one that's going to blow everybody's minds long before that stuff ever becomes mainstream because it's the next one on the pipeline. It's everybody that runs from diesel emissions. Congrats. You can't get away from it now. What is that? Gas particulate filters and gas after treatment systems. It's a matter of months before it starts showing up here. Certain brands would already have it if it wasn't for COVID. That's going to be way worse because there's been tons of people that don't work on those cars because they don't want to get involved because it's seemingly unfixable. Now you're going to have no choice, right? That's going to create a little bit of a barrier and guys are going to get crushed or feel like they're getting crushed. But again, remember, you're allowed to make mistakes. Just to make sure I understood, so uh, you're saying particulate filters and, and gasoline direct injection, right? No, no, no. I'm saying basically DPF and SCR for gas cars. Yeah. So yeah. GPF, and you're going to have exhaust after treatment with like knock sensors and urea, the whole nine yards. It'll be different. Have, but. have you guys looked at the particle sizes and, and things like that from gasoline direct injection, how bad it really is for us? It's, it's like really, well, I'm not going to say it. It's, it's bad. It's almost as bad as Canadian wildfires. <laughs> yeah. We'll put that in the same boat of things that, you know, like with my NVLD gripe is, yeah, yeah, it might be better, but when it goes wrong, it goes far worse. Yeah. Far worse. It's bad. And they don't, we know they don't look at the total things, but the weight of anybody in this trade, and I don't want to just say technicians, because I know there's people other than technicians that listen to Matt, there's shop owners and there's service writers and Anybody in this trade, because this is the only one we care about, right? We don't, I know we compare ourselves to other trades a lot, but we don't really care about those other trades. Anybody in this trade is going to continue to fall under the weight of technology changes, process changes. We saw just from a service writer standpoint, we saw a huge change during COVID where we went contactless, right? We had thousands of shops across the country that no physical interaction with a customer. And that worked for a year, maybe two, depending on where your location was. But then a lot of service riders struggled when those interactions happened again afterwards, when the world opened back up. There were a lot of people that jumped ship because they're like, this sucks. They really enjoyed their job when they didn't have to deal with customers in front of them. They could just email them or they could call them. They didn't have to deal with the customers. Then they had to deal with the customers again. And the the cloud of despair was too much. They tapped out and you could kind of see it. Owners, they go through a bunch of stuff. You know, we pick on owners a lot. They pick on technicians a lot. It's a back and forth thing, right? Everybody picks on the service writers. Nobody likes the parts department, but everybody's going through the same trials and tribulations just at a different angle, right? Like Matt, when you you ordered 11 alternators for a Jeep, you ruined at least three guys week because they had to log all those returns. And then they had- He returned them as new and not needed. (laughs) Shit, we we can't even hide this because it wasn't like one or two. It's like everyone we had on the shelf was bad. What do we do now? I have to call somebody. So, you know, I mean, the the slump thing, it's real. It's real on every level of this job. And if you've been in this job any amount of time, you're going to come into a slump. And sometimes it just simply is a matter of calling somebody that's not in your town and talking. Pedro, you and I have had conversations like they start out as technical calls one way or the other, normally me calling you about something. And then it turns into a mental health session. Yeah. Matt, that about life. 
happens frequently with you and me. I've got two guys that are like, they're semi-local. They're far enough away. I don't really see them very often, but they're still around. They call me sometimes just so they can ask about my day. And not because they're carrying individuals, but because it'll make them feel better about their day. (laughs) Oh, man. I get that phone call at least three times a week where somebody calls me and they're like, hey, man. I've got a buddy up in the Raleigh area, and I'm not going to like get real specific so he can't know I'm talking about him. He got out of the business. He's on a totally different side of the fence now. He works for a parts company, and he calls me sometimes when he thinks he's getting the itch to get back in a bay. <laughs> and after about 15 minutes, he goes, yep, that's good enough. I'm good. And he just hangs up. He's like, I was telling you about my day. Yeah, he just hangs up on me. Oh, man. sometimes that's all it takes man is just to sit around and we talk about how valuable networking is but nobody ever talks about why it's valuable i tell you the number one thing i get out of networking is when i'm at the absolute bottom and it doesn't happen a lot but when i'm at the absolute bottom sometimes i just need to vent and you can't vent to your wife because they don't know what the hell you're talking about and and that is so true you know i I forgot who it is and and if it's one of you guys i'm sorry that i care but Someone said that training their uh, mental health sessions because, you know, you get a group of people on a table. It might have been you, Justin, now that I'm thinking. Wasn't me, but that's absolutely true. Okay. And it's true. You sit there and there's people that can relate, you know, to that once, you know, like you said, ordering a bad part, right? Or or dealing with this and that. And nobody else in the world, they could be, you know, empathetic, be like, oh, yeah, man, that does sound tough, dude. But when someone's been there, the the connection is different. The the resolution is different. And and it's very, it's much, much needed. Just making that connection to have somebody to bounce stuff off of. And it doesn't even have to be like diag related. No. That's the part that's that's invaluable is just being able to help you understand that you're not the only one. Like you're stuck in a rut. It can never be as bad as being stuck as man fans shoes. No. I have like two or three weeks of that back to back, honestly. And then that's when I called Matt. So if anyone's ever stuck and one, call me and I'll tell you, like you said, I can tell you about my day and my week. And yeah, it's, you just have to fight through it and vent. And then once you realize that there's other people around you that maybe you think, or you would never think that they're going through like hard times automotive wise, they, they really are. And they can escalate very rapidly. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on and celebrating this milestone with all the failures <laughs> i was kind of hoping for a cheerier subject on your podcast, but you know yeah, I'll save that for true to life i mean it's factual right it's much needed i think if anyone out there is having a hard time with stuff like that it, it's super helpful and refreshing humanizing it as you guys were using the word earlier one of my favorite classes to be in is when an instructor sharing all the mistakes they made before finding the problem you know we could sit here and come up with a list right each one of us of every car that we had a hard time or maybe potentially almost made a bad call or made a bad call or or had incorrect testing done and just share it back to back to back and just keep shotgunning all those. I think all the listeners that might not really see that side of the industry would be in awe and how we're all out here every day learning and in the freaking trenches. It's exactly what it is in a trench. Yep. That's a perfect way to wrap this up. Well, uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Oh, Anytime. Hopefully I can get on after you hit your triple digits. I'll have my fingers crossed. (laughs) Don't get canceled. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to follow up with those other episode ideas. And this has been great. We'll have to make a list for sure. But yeah, it's always a good time to be on here with you, Matt. All kidding aside, man, it's always a good time to listen to the podcast. It's even better to be on it. And I'm glad you made it to 100, man. Big congrats. It's it's huge. I I, want to start listening to the show now for sure. 
<laughs> One more listener. We're talking, we're talking about uplifting. We've just been crushing that all night. You know, if you start listening, I might have one more listener that isn't family than I do not family. One oh, listener man. you don't have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for allowing me to do this. Thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. If you have any ideas for the show or want to be on, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. You can also email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslo diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.